Welcome back to the Resilience Community Podcast. I am so uh, delighted to introduce Jonathan Cohen. He is the Chief Resilience and Sustainability Officer um, for Colorado. So we are going to talk today about his role and some of the things that that he's doing um, in the space right now. How are you doing, Jonathan? I'm doing great. It's so great to be with you. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, yeah, I just really super interested to to ask you a couple of questions considering everything that's kind of going on um, in the U.S. right now and and how uh, resilience has become obviously such a, a huge topic right now. So could you give me a bit of background on the types of I suppose, you know, natural disasters and, and other disasters that have affected um, your your state right now. Yeah, sure. Happy to. So, yeah, so I um, so I work in the city of Boulder, Colorado, and so we're, we're nestled kind of at the the base of the Rocky Mountains. And, you know, you ask a really interesting question because I think there have been these great cover stories of forest fires and and flood events that are kind of ubiquitous with this idea of building resilience in our communities to, mm. you know, to kind of interlake hazards and underlying stresses. And, you know, I, I would say that our literacy on this issue has grown um, considerably over the last decade. Uh, you know, Boulder in particular has a long history of planning for you know, challenges of tomorrow today. So how are we thinking about innovative solutions and undertaking successful resilience building activities and projects? So we've had this 40 plus year legacy of preserving open space, uh, we've had very aggressive climate action goals. We have still one of the the only local carbon tax in the U.S. Mm. And most of those things were really not labeled community resilience, but really, you know, really thinking about how we're protecting our community to the threats and stresses that that we see on a regular basis. Mm. Now, like many cities across the country and around the world, Boulder is adjusting to this new normal where the effects of climate change, I think, are really becoming increasingly apparent. So mm. in 2010 to 2014, we experienced some of the most catastrophic wildfires, uh, both here locally and across our state, the mm. most severe and significant flooding events that took place in our region. Mm. And, and that allowed us to, to start thinking um, with a different perspective. And I wanna stress a really important point here. While you know communities are likely to have um, you know, complex topographies and natural climate variabilities, mm -hmm. the, the reality is we, our literacy needs to consider that resilience, building resilience is bigger than just uh, infrastructure. Meaning we can always make mm -hmm. walls stronger and pipes bigger to move water faster. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the things that I think was so interesting in our experience here in Boulder over the past 10 years is um, how do we as a society get back up when we get knocked down? Mm. How do we build in social resilience, which is pretty synonymous with equity? So how mm. are we thinking about those that are most impacted in our communities um, and in our states and in our regions? And how are we protecting the most vulnerable? Um, mm. So that's, I think, one of the really interesting things that necessitated a, a more holistic approach to our thinking around resilience. Mm. Yeah, that's such a good point. And I totally agree. You know, obviously, infrastructure plays a major role in resilience in being able to 
yeah, protect communities um, by having, you know, the right kind of design for particular events. But that's it. When a catastrophic event happens, when some damage just is going to happen and can't be prevented with, with infrastructure changes, you know, how do we, yeah, help each other remain connected during those times? How do we respond as best we can, um, you know, before, during, and after an event. Because I know, I mean, in particular, Hurricane Harvey, um, I, yeah, I heard this story from the chief resilience officer in Houston, and, and she was saying that the kids at school cry whenever there's rain. And so, uh-huh. you know, it's just, it is really hard to, yeah, it's a, a massive challenge to try and build resilience into different generations, especially if they've experienced trauma um, like an event like that. It, it is very interesting. And you use a really great example um, in, with regard to, you know, hurricanes that are, I think, largely considered to be those shocks that we experience, right? And mm. in our experience, shocks expose stresses. And mm. what I mean by that is that when, you know, social and economic stresses are sometimes harder to see, but they're exposed and exasperated during a crisis or a disaster. Mm. And so it's those opportunities where you can start to bounce back uh, and and bounce back better or build back stronger. It, but only if you're thinking about really the underlying issues uh, that are the stresses. You know, we're seeing mm. this so much now that lower income people are among the least able to recover, yet they yeah. are often central to the economy and culture of a community. Yeah, that's it. And and what do you think that in terms of helping, yeah, the lower income bracket, where do you see that going? Is it in you know, in communication and kind of that social outreach, how do you think that we can best help that part of our society? Uh, Honestly, I think it is a total recalibration of how we think about this work. Um, I'm Mm. just going to be really frank about that. Um, One of the things that we have thought hard about is how do you design your programs and services? I'll just use, for example, Mm. the work we've been doing around climate here in Boulder. Um, You know, again, we're we're very progressive as a community in terms of our uh, approach to climate action. Um, Yet, one of the realizations that we had is you cannot consider social resilience equity issues as an afterthought. They can't be the appendage to your work. Mm. Mm. So you need to start by really understanding how you root all of your efforts there. If you build your programs and your services to ensure everyone, they're accessible to everyone, um, then you're going to be successful. And so it takes Mm. a total recalibration to say, let's create systems approach work around energy and transportation, ecosystems management and food systems and financial Mm. systems. Mm. You do that with equity and resilience at the center. And that is really Mm. the the, the work that we've been doing here and trying Mm. to kind of pioneer that approach with our colleagues, both across the state and also across the country through coalitions like the Urban Sustainability Directors Network, um, C40, Carbon Neutral Cities Alliance. And so I think it's very progressive and somewhat provocative in thinking. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And that's, you're so right. It is, 
from the get-go um, with a mission for, for equity, for sure, to make sure that holistically that the community can feel like, you know, they are all in it together versus being, you know, segmented and and maybe not, yeah, having that kind of holistic effort to work together. Um, mm -hmm. And then in addition to that, I mean, this is just a, a bit of a, a curious question for me, but also a lot of um, my kind of international listeners uh, looking at the, the current situation in America um, via Twitter and, and whatnot. So is, is the situation as bad as the media portrays in terms of, you know, riots, the COVID spikes, um, and then, you know, now hurricane and storm season? How, how, is, how is your day to day right now? And is it as, <laughs> is it as bad as, as what, you know, we think looking from the outside? Yeah, well, that's a fabulous question. Um, and of course, we're recording from the safety of my basement since we're not allowed oh, okay. to be physically in our offices. But, you, you, yeah. you know, it, I, I will come at this from a bit of an optimistic place, which is, um, you know, what we've experienced, I think, over the past couple of months um, First, I think really we talk about COVID and, and COVID is a threat multiplier and truly underscores the urgency of building resilience to not just to pandemics, but to other systemic risks. We, so we mm. talk about it, how it applies to climate change or ecosystem destruction, et cetera. I, you, you know, it also gives us the perspective that is one of opening some new horizons, reshaping what's possible. Um, and, and, you know, we're seeing that um, during times of emergency, individuals can make sacrifices for collective benefits. And I think that's mm -hmm. a pretty powerful thing, too. But keep in mind, here is here's the reality that we're facing. Um, our work has always been centered around trying to address one crisis, which is the climate crisis. It's been yeah. front and center for us for quite a while. Yeah. Over the past year, we've started to really understand how we need to address this social crisis that has really, really become front and center here in the U.S. just in the last couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but now we're dealing with four crises at once. So we have a social crisis, we have an economic crisis, we have a health crisis and a climate crisis. And understanding the relationship between those um, has been really, really important. And mm. so if nothing else, so far this year has been one of regaining perspective and I guess call it a silver lining of hard times um, shows us, you know, or gives us the opportunity um, for introspection and focus. So what matters the most and how do we live up to that? And what I will say specifically about what we are facing right now in the U.S. is is really, really a powerful time. Uh, and I'm going to call it what it is. I mean, we are mm. dealing with 400 years of systemic racism and understanding the impacts of that and seeing, you know, you call, you talked about the riots. You know, mm. I think it's so powerful that what we are seeing are protests and, and they yeah. are in the majority are peaceful protests of people as they have done with with issues like climate to be able to assemble and show how powerful collective voices are, how powerful mm. solidarity is in mm. dealing with the, some of these systemic issues. Mm. And so I, I would say, yeah, I, it, it's there are certainly it, it's certainly a challenging time for all of us globally and certainly here in the U.S., um, 
and we can talk for hours about um, the, the <laughs> impact that lack of political leadership really has in you know, combating some of these systemic issues. Mm. But I also um, think, you know, just like we need to work hard to fight climate change and prepare for the impacts that were already being felt by the most vulnerable, um, ignoring racism may, won't make it go away. Mm. And so we need to be active in dismantling systemic racism. And mm. unless we are dealing with both crises, we will, we, we will succeed at neither. And so mm -hmm. it's it's a very interesting time um, to acknowledge um, that we strive for equity and inclusion and social resilience. We have a long way to go to address racism and and, and mm. biases in this country. Mm -hmm. But as you said, you know, this is certainly a time in which I feel like there is, yeah, there are a lot of movements. People are kind of mobilizing and and um coming together as a collective a lot more just because of the yeah the the stress and um the kind of extreme situation that we find ourselves in so if anything yes i guess the the silver lining to all these extreme events happening is that um people are starting to kind of come together a lot a lot more because yeah we have so many challenges to face that obviously you know we need to face it together like we are stronger as a as a collective than we are you know as individuals so certainly a very very interesting time and and in terms of you know you just touched on I suppose the the political leadership um and the challenges there so who do you think you know who is responsible for actually trying to build resilience is it just on the government is it when we're looking at public enterprises, like maybe, um, you know, essential services like utilities, how do we bring that together in a collaborative sense to try and build resilience, you know, across the board? Yeah, that's a, that, that's a, um, that's a deep question. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, let me, let me start by saying that I think we all know, um, and I link a lot when we talk about resilience, I, I, I think it's, it's such a, a very broad topic and mm -hmm. to unpack that I think is an important one. So w when we talk about climate, for example, I mean, climate change is a, you know, it's a wicked collective action problem. So mm -hmm. we know that while individual change can't fix the climate, the climate can't be fixed without it. And what I mean by that is that one of our one of our approaches here locally has been, you know, we, we kind of formed a lot of our work around this idea of individual behavior change, that if one person changes their lights, if one person, you know, their light bulbs, if one person recycles mm -hmm. more, if, if mm -hmm. one person shows empathy towards their neighbor, then everyone will follow suit and that will change the system. And we know that that is not working. So what needs to take place mm -hmm. is how you calibrate individual action to move collective action mm. and then collective action creates systems change. Mm. And, and then you see a role for, you know, government policies and other institutional changes, which really matter. So mm -hmm. yes, behavior norms matter. Um, and this is that ongoing tension role of who's responsible, who should do what? Is it mm -hmm. the individual? Is it local government? Um, is mm -hmm. it state government or provincial governments? Is it federal mm -hmm. government? Mm -hmm. And I think it, it creates a really interesting dynamic. So you asked the question, who's responsible for building resilience? And I think it it depends on how 
you want to talk about and define resilience. So mm. if you break that down and say, what does a resilient energy system look like, for example? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that leads you down a really interesting pathway to say, okay, uh, how does a resilient energy system differ from a reliable energy system? Well, it's mm -hmm. one that it brings in, um, you know, dimensions of, of, of economics and rates and cost to ratepayers and understanding the impact on ratepayers. Mm -hmm. um, looks at issues related to future proofing. So instead of saying, let's backcast and say, these are the kind of storms that we've had, what would a change in two degrees temperature Celsius look like to our ecosystem? Are we going to see more severe storms, more wind, uh, mm. loss of species diversity, uh, more mm. wildfires, more, more severe hurricanes or tornadoes? And that allows you to plan for the circumstances and the dynamics that we've not yet seen, but we have an idea are coming. And so mm -hmm. you can apply that same theory to other systems, whether they're financial systems, whether they are kind of infrastructure systems and water, wastewater, stormwater, um, ecosystems, and again, biodiversity and species lost uh, and, and our lo local ecosystems. And then that gives you an opportunity to explore when does it make sense to maybe focus on solutions at the regional scale? And mm. what what are the policies that are necessary to enable that work to take to take place? So I guess I'm kind of coming full circle to answering your question to say mm -hmm. it, it really is a comprehensive approach because there is an individual role in it. There is a collective role. There is a role for local businesses and local government. Um, mm -hmm. There is definitely a role for policymakers. But we need to do a better job of defining and clarifying the end state that we're after. So mm. you don't wake up one day and say, oh, we're now resilient. You don't wake up yeah. and say, oh, we're, we're now sustainable. We've achieved what we set out to do. It's always mm -hmm. an end process. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's one of recognizing that we need to continue to iterate. Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, that's... Amazing, Jonathan. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing right now in, in obviously uh, being a, a voice and an advocate and a leader for resilience and sustainability. Certainly climate change is, um, yeah, you as you said, we've, we've got kind of those, those four uh, crises that are, that are going on right now. But um, I would really like to see, you know, the kind of togetherness that we have seen for COVID and for this social crisis to then, you know, shift focus or at least, you know, have the same power towards climate change as well. Because, I mean, it's just absolutely um, heartbreaking, you know, what's happening certainly in, in the U.S. with these increasingly, you know, frequent and more severe weather events, mm -hmm. um, as you said, in 2010, 2014. And yeah, it's, um, I know in particular for, for flooding, I don't know so much about fire, but certainly flooding events are becoming more frequent and more severe every year. Um, and the, the cost to, like on a global scale, um, is looking to reach hundreds of billions, you know, in the next 10 years if we don't do something um, about this kind of climate crisis right now. So I'm certainly certainly behind you on that one and also yeah however we can help with 
any other crisis, obviously, we're, we're always on board. But, um, yeah, thank you so much, Jonathan. And is there any closing statement or anything you'd like to, to wrap up um, with regards to resilient communities on the podcast? Yeah, and maybe it's just to to react to your um, last remark, which I appreciate <laughs> very much. And and you sure. know, really, as I was saying, I you know, the tragedy stemming, I think, from this pandemic underscore the larger crises that, that we've already discussed. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's creating both what what I would call a global pause and an opportunity for accelerated action. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, you know, as as we see, you know, trillions of dollars being allocated with this goal of returning to normal, I think it's important to recognize we have an opportunity to emerge from from this emergency in a way that mm-hmm. helps solve these larger crises, versus mm-hmm. pretending that we can go back to normal, which when when normal is a bit of an illusion. So. Mm. I, I just think how we identify approaches that help us build back better following a pandemic in a way that delivers jobs and growth opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I just think that we can create pragmatic community-based solutions that are, are replicable and scalable. And so that's all exciting work that that's being done right now. And mm-hmm. I'm just so grateful to, to talk with you today. And um, yeah, oh, hopefully we you. can kind of close the gap and have some solidarity in this time. Certainly. Yep. Of course. Well, yes. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Um, And certainly we'll speak again in the future. Great. Thanks so much. Awesome. Thank you. All right.